raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Charles Arbuckle's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. Are you there, buddy? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Doing well. Just a uh, crazy time of the year. And, yeah. you know, I guess getting ready for the draft. And if you have that party, it's going to be hard for me to make it. That's my wife's birthday. So Ooh, I'll have yeah. to come to the after after party. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt. You're staked out in Charlotte. So I'm assuming there's going to be some festivities going on there as well. And, you know, some oh, people, yeah. because we, we get punch drunk and talking about the subject over and over again. But Frank Reich and company, their direction is at C.J. Stroud, in your opinion. There's no, hey, they, they want to do a misdirection here. They like Anthony Richards and something like that. It is going to be Stroud. You know, you're talking about the Panthers? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like as good as Bryce is as a player and ready, Frank has always had bigger quarterbacks. He's a bigger quarterback. Josh McNown. You know, you think about the guys at uh, Jim Caldwell, who's a part of that uh, organization now, who, you know, I, I think should be a head coach somewhere. Uh, and you guys know him from your Colts days. Yep. Always had bigger. You know, you can be athletic in their system. I'm not saying that. But it's just something about this whole narrative. I think they talked them. I, I feel like they may have talked themselves out of Bryce, and I really like Bryce Young. I like what C.J. Stroud did late in the year. But I also think his upside puts him in a position where you have four folks in that organization here in downtown Charlotte that can go and work with him and get him in position to be consistent. His con- inconsistency was really bad sometimes when you saw it. But the oh-wow plays, especially against high-level competition, I think put him in another realm. And that's why this fascination with Anthony Richardson, and I think he's a great potential player, but do you want to put him in right away? That's my only concern with all these guys, really. But you think about it here. Andy Dalton is with the, with the Carolina Panthers. Andy can play some for you. He can start, definitely. Uh, you've got to have somebody, if you get Anthony Richardson, I think that's the same thing you did with Mahomes. Mahomes didn't play right away, and he will credit a lot of his success now to Alex Smith's development and helping him learn. You don't want them to go somewhere where Aaron Rodgers is. I'm just, I'm just being real. I love Aaron, but Aaron is all about him. You've got to get guys that want to help mentor but also compete and not let that guy just step into place. You're paying him a bunch of money, and all these quarterbacks are going to see that, whether you're Will Levis, whether you're Anthony Richardson, and we're going to see if, if they can can make it because they're paying them so much money that they want to play them quicker rather than looking at what they really need to do with them and give them an opportunity to grow. And I think that's where the culture sit in a position where they have that option, and I definitely think they're going after quarterback. Yeah, it's uh, Charles Arbuckle of Sirius XM College Football Radio on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I've tried very hard, and not so much coming off the combine, but after the pro day last week. And I've, I've tried this all along, not to get overexcited about somebody's pro day, because uh, I know the teams don't do that as well. But it was difficult after watching Anthony Richardson last week and, and just looking at him as such a physical specimen. You, know, I, you wonder if he can play quarterback, which is, you know, while – you know what you're picking for right there but man i just i can't remember too many times if ever we've seen somebody like that it just maybe at four maybe it's infiltrating my brain right now but it it would seem hard to pass up compared to somebody like a will levis well the story for him and i've tried to get to a few of the folks that know anthony richardson and i you know, are around his circle and you know they won't give me any information but i think the one thing i do know is that they're doing a really nice job of him helping him tell the story about, hey, maybe I wasn't developed like I can be in your system. You know, so you got to think when you look at that. And there's, you know, there's even been some talk the last few days that maybe Frank Wright wants to draft Anthony Richardson. Right. But it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out and who is going to allow that to happen in that draft room. Frank will have a real strong say. Scott Fitterer and Tepper, how will they, you know, how will they do it? Who will stand on the table for Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, or Bryce Young? Those are always the things that we learn years after those drafts takes place. And I think that's, that's the part to me that's so exciting about watching this quarterback 
things shake out for not only the Carolina Panthers, but also the Indianapolis Colts, who you know are in need of a quarterback. And wouldn't Frank want to get the best one or, or the one that he can say, look, I got him better than you guys because y'all got rid of me. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it's some things now that are going to be going on that Frank would never do that. That's just not him. That's not his nature. But I can, I can bet you he, he wants to beat the Colts to the punch since they're in the position to do that. Well, I thought it was logical that when you trade all that to get up to number one, that you wanted to make sure that you got C.J. Stroud. And I, that's who I like most. Mm-hmm. most overall in this entire draft and yeah it's funny when you're at number four charles if you're the colts and, and you can tell me this I, I mean how much are they in the territory of seriously thinking about not drafting a quarterback and going with what would be described as the best player available which more than likely at that point is going to be a defensive player should they be all in on quarterback or should they be flexible you know, in that philosophy of best player available, even if it's not the most important position of need on their team. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Because um, I think the court, to you're saying more so that the quarterback position holds supersedes some of the other needs. Is that what you're? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or, just because yeah, yeah. if you're a non-believer in what I've talked about in the phenomenon athletically the Richardson or if you're not a believer in Levis because of the struggles that he had this this past season at quarterback in Lexington you know should you just kind of wait on it and not force it and go with the best defensive player that might be there or trade back to get somebody that you like to get more assets how logical is that because I mean believe me that's Chris Ballard territory I don't think they're going to do that I think they're going to stick at four but I can't completely dismiss it because of his history in doing it in the past. Yeah, it's interesting that they moved up to do some of those things too, right? I think that's the the part that's always interesting when uh, teams make a move and want to get into a position and just, you know, just kind of where they have a spot or I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what the Colts will, will do this year because normally – I think, what, the last few years we've talked, I've been able to kind of peg it. I yeah. can't peg it this year. I, I really can't. I mean, well, I, I, and I've been, I, listen, I'd said this before. I, I'd heard, and this goes back to October, I, I'd heard yeah, yeah. interest in Levis. And yeah. again, this could be, and they could thank me later for just, you know, sandbagging and sending misdirections out there for them around here. But I just happened <laughs> to sit here and think if they drafted four, that's who they're going to draft. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say you're probably right because he seems to be the most natural fit. Um, their their head coach now, former Philadelphia Eagle uh, offensive coordinator, likes an athletic quarterback. They built a you know a really nice offense around Jalen Hurts that allows him to throw the football. Will Levis is pretty athletic. Uh, that's why. You know, is it Anthony Richardson? You know, I mean, there's a just – I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you like of the group of four? If we're putting them all together, Stroud and Young and Richardson and Levis, you know, I'm talking about for the longer haul here, not so much in a season or two, but for the longer haul, who do you like? I think Stroud is going to go first if I'm doing it right. And then out of those three to the Colts, you know, or, or somebody else decides it, it, things happen on draft day yeah. uh, that are a little crazy. So if Bryce Young is off the board or if he's on the board, let's just say he's still there. I mean, I, I doubt we'll have all three of those guys in the fourth slot. What do you like long-term in the NFL yeah. as a player? Who, who plays the best out of those four? Man. That's a hard one. See, because I like like Stroud, and and I've said this before, Charles, I like Stroud, and most of it is with what he did against Georgia because the the common theme – of criticism is, well, yeah, some say he's not a leader. I don't know how you can tell that, but some people say he's not. Whatever. Anyway, he plays around so much talent from his line to Marvin Harrison Jr. to all these weapons that he has. You know, how could he fail? And look what he did against Michigan. But I look what he did against Georgia, and he did so much individually. I mean, it was individual yeah. effort. It was on his own there that impressed yeah. me against the best team in the land. Maybe not the defense, certainly, that they had a year prior, but still a good athletic defense. That's when I made my decision of this is the guy that should go off the board first at quarterback. What say you? Yeah, so so I will say Stroud goes first. The Houston Texans will probably get Bryce Young. I don't think they're – I think that's an organization that's not worried about the size factor. 
Arizona doesn't need a quarterback, so then you're down to Will Levis and then uh, uh, Anthony Richardson. I would say out of those two, the Colts pick Anthony Richardson. That's just what I think. And then you have some other factors. Would Las Vegas want to move up? You know, there's some other teams behind right. that may try to move up. So I, I can't, I can't tell you that. That's always happening uh, leading into the draft. Yeah. But that to me is kind of what I can see playing out. Unless Will Levis is impressed enough because we got enamored with Anthony Richardson, but Will Levis has looked good in all of his workouts, and he he's had some success in college. But both of those guys are enigmas because. On tape, sometimes you watch them and you're like, what are they looking at? And then other times they make athletic plays or, you know, run over guys or do things, and you're like, oh, I see it. So that's that's where you have to know as a, as a scout and a, a, a organization that you can put them in a position so they will make those plays consistently for you and you won't feel like you missed on those drives. Yeah. I mean that that part is that part is really true. I and I I guess I will stay to form with Levis because that's not yeah. who I like. I just think that they stay at four because I don't think Chris Ballard wants to move up and give away up anything to get up to number three. And we may, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, there may be a team out there in the weeds that jumps up and gets Arizona's third overall pick to get Anthony Richardson. And I think that they have believed all along that Levis is going to be there at four. I think there's a reason why I heard about that back in October. And you know, I guess I'll stick to it. As they say, I'll ride this horse until it bucks me. Yeah, so think about this. You've got Vegas at seven. You've got Atlanta at eight and Tennessee at 11, right? All of them, in my opinion, or what I think, need someone. You know, they, they haven't made trades to move up. Would they be one of those teams that kind of jumps up to the first round uh, or higher in the first round? And even New England, I mean, uh, Green Bay, now that you're losing Aaron Rodgers, but you have Jordan Love. There's a lot of fact. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that I'm, I'm really anxious to see as it plays out. I don't need to see the whole draft, but I want to see that first like who's going to try to get up there if Arizona's going to let someone because they don't, they I don't think they're in position for a quarterback, but maybe they move back and 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 not 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 bad not have to move back as much because you see some of those slots that we talked yeah, about. I mean, you think about a team like Tennessee. Oh, yeah. what Tennessee wants to do within the AFC South, and, and we do know this. I mean, there's not a lot of truth telling going on right now either, <laughs> and, and we, we we also know this. Charles is. I, I, it's pretty easy to fall in love with a quarterback. It doesn't take a lot of time, and that quarterback mm-hmm. can have all this and all that going wrong. But it, you know, it'd be a moment in time or something where you get sold, you know, out of, out of some trait. And the reason why I always bring up Anthony Richardson is because he's got not just singular trait; he's got yeah. a number of oh wows well, that I think well. that a lot of folks could easily fall in love with, even though they don't believe that he's anywhere near being NFL starting quarterback worthy. Uh, well, so think of this too: what if the Panthers take Anthony Richardson? And I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be completely shocked from some of the things I've heard as well, just because. If your quarter, if your coach is a quarterback coach, and he's also grown up as a quarterback, and he knows what he likes, and then Josh McCown, who's going to be the quarterback coach in that position, offensive coordinator, and then uh, also think about you got four, you got four guys in that 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 Panther organization that can coach quarterbacks. I think we don't be shocked if Anthony Richardson goes in that first slot because of some of those things I just said. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and then Will Levis. Then we'll see what happens after that. So I'm excited about this draft because I don't think we really know. We don't know. <laughs> we won't know until well, that. And that's a definite wild card. That is a de- yeah. that is a definite, a definite wild card. That's why we have you here. And we'll probably do that again before we walk this thing up to the draft and even though it's your wife's birthday and you can't attend a party i don't even know if there's a party going on but there should be a party if there's not a party scheduled i know that yeah yeah well next time i'm there i was there for the combine real quick and you and i didn't get to connect because i was over there all day every day but the next time i'm in town man let's make sure we get together Do it. just uh, go have an adult beverage somewhere and catch up we could have it at my desk because I've got like a whole liquor store back there right now. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. It's always great talking to you. All right. Take care now. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participating McDonald's for a limited time. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, I saw him last night as the season winds down. The Pacers will not be a part of the postseason. But we'll talk about that and more with from Valley Sports, Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson. It was great to see you last night. And by the way, JJ's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I'm sorry I did not bring batteries. I felt bad about your microphone situation. Did it just need batteries? I didn't have them. It wasn't necessarily a battery situation. We were just having a little bit of difficulties uh, communicating with the producers and uh, director in the truck. So we got it We got it ironed out. I just didn't have a good opportunity to chat with you. And then things got busy, and I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to chat longer. But I, we would chat over the radio. Yeah, you looked like you were a little bit busy last night. <laughs> oh, we were all right. I actually had the first quarter where I didn't have to even worry about anything because Tyrese Halliburton joined the broadcast. Yep. He uh, grabbed the headset and joined Chris and Quinn. So I didn't have to worry about doing any in-game content during the first quarter, but then I had to – Get going in the second quarter. The one thing that stood out to me last night at being at that game is, you know, we often talk about, I know that the fans talk about, you know, you want an entertainment game, entertaining game and, and you lose or, you know, whether or not you're winding down a season where you're not going to the postseason and how hard that they're playing. Listen, those dudes are playing their asses off still right now. I mean, it may not be coming into wins it doesn't do anything for the win column but you can absolutely be in their live can tell that yeah i mean they've been playing hard all season they don't always they don't always get off to really good starts in games and that's something that i think they worked on a little bit in the middle of the season and then they're having different starting lineups at different times but they're absolutely giving it their all and there are guys that are really trying to improve in in different areas and things that maybe they struggled early in the season and they're trying to improve towards the end of the season so they can have a little bit of a launching pad in the offseason to head into next season. But you're absolutely correct. They're, they're giving it their all. And <laughs> the opponents are good, too. So sometimes when they're not having success, it's, it's nothing to do with effort. Yeah, and, and like, I'll give you a great example. I brought this up at the top of the show, J.J. It was Benedict Matherin, who has had a very successful rookie season. And the Pacers, Pacer fans should rejoice because he was drafted and he is on this team. He's going to get better and better. But he scuffled a little bit recently down the stretch. And he scuffled last night. He couldn't, in the fourth quarter, maintain possession of the ball. He was falling down. He was worried about the officials. His teammates were going in the other direction, playing defense on the break. And, you know, this was all problematic. This is stuff that's going to get ironed out. But I absolutely love this. He is so no-nonsense. He doesn't want – he's not worried about talking to anybody, getting with anybody. He just wants to go out there and try to whip your ass and then go to the locker room after the game. I love that. That is always going to be there. I think this other stuff is going to work itself out, iron itself out as he grows and matures. But I love – and I know fans love that as well. It's okay if you want to go out there and see friends and hug and shake hands after the game. But I love the mentality he has. My man just – walk straight to the locker room and that's that yeah there's not a lot of love after a game especially after a loss from him unless it's someone that is from Canada that he knows from way back or maybe that he played with at Arizona so uh, he is no nonsense and the one thing that I'll share uh, after the game in Toronto he did the press conference with the Toronto media and he said something that caught my attention and he said it rather matter-of-factly that I want to be the best two-way player in the game and I'm, I'm thinking at the time you know, he's a really good rookie on offense. He, he needs to make some improvements defensively. And then I've heard him say it now three or four times since that night. And so I brought it up to Ronald Nord, and he acknowledged to me that going into the game plan for some of these opponents over the last couple of weeks, he has asked to guard the best player on the opposition in the backcourt. He wants those challenges. And then they're also um, being graded out. Uh, with the analytics of their individual defensive assignments and how well they've done, and he's taking a look at those, and and he's really trying to get better on defense. So that's, to me, the biggest thing moving forward. You've got Tyrese Halliburton, who's an elite offensive point guard. You're going to have to get a little bit better. We've talked about this a lot, about stopping the opposition on the perimeter. And so I think Benedict Matherin, he's he's born as a natural scorer, but the defense is something he's going to have to kind of figure out a little bit. And the the fact that he's putting so much effort into it, even though he's not going to be successful on every play, there are going to be some times he gets beat back door and he just sort of is still figuring things out. 
but the defensive quest for knowledge and improvement is noted. Well, and he's also been marked by the officials now, too. And you saw that last night with Tony Brothers. I mean, Tony Brothers has reached a point with Matherin in games where he doesn't want to hear him anymore. And you saw that last night because I thought he was – when he walked to one side of the floor and Matherin was still kind of complaining as he was walking away, he didn't want to hear it anymore. And that's something that I mentioned a little bit earlier, J.J. I think that's going to iron itself out more so than anything else with maturity. I think it will. And it has – I mean, I think last night maybe was a step back in that area. But I have noticed if I say all-star break on or maybe even January on, second half of the season – I've seen less of that. I thought it was a little too much in the beginning of the season, although I was surprised in the first half of the season just how much as a rookie he got to the free throw line and seemed to get those calls. And I think that's because of how strong he is and how he was able to, uh, you know, get into the contact and still get in and try to finish. And uh, he was able to get the free throw line a lot. But I do think you do develop a little bit of a reputation. So maybe Tony Brothers didn't want to hear it. And maybe last night was a little bit of a step back. But I've seen improvement in terms of his – talking and and being upset with the officials and i think you're right i think we'll see that get better as well moving forward that's uh jeremiah johnson valley sports indiana's on the andy moore automotive group hotline as the uh, pacers wind out the season pistons coming up on friday night uh nicks on the road on sunday um how many of these guys do you think and you don't have to name names here but how many guys do you think we're we may be seeing in a pacers uniform for the final time it's tough because I heard you ask uh, Chris Denary that question earlier this week, and so many of them are under contract, but you've got your first-round pick, you've got Boston's, you've got Cleveland's, and there's a potential to have an early second-round pick from Houston. Now, I don't think there are even four spots for new players, but that does create some opportunities where you might have to make some room. And I do think that this offseason is twofold. It's not just who you can acquire in the draft. I think they are going to make a really strong push to improve the roster, whether it's free agency or via trade. So, uh, you know, some of the obvious names would be there, and you know the foundational pieces. We've heard Rick Carlisle, you know, call Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner foundational pieces, and Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin are not going anywhere. So if you take your, you know, those four or five guys, and then you say of the rest, it's a little bit up in the air. I'm not going to say that, you know, this particular player should be concerned and this particular player not, but – in a 15-man roster, you're probably going to have at least five new players and 10 come back next year. That's just sort of the way the NBA seems to work. And so I guess that's the number that I would say, but I'm not prepared to say any specific names. I understand. Absolutely. I, I have described this as one of the biggest off-seasons uh, in terms of uh, improvement, at least eyeball on paper improvement, that we have seen around here in a long time because next year with you know that bite of success here or there especially in december uh people are going to start wanting to see a much higher level of results you agree this offseason being as large as i describe it to be i do i think that the step the pacers made this season is one that maybe when they were kind of devising this plan to rebuild the team and have this new era they might have thought would have come next season. So you had this step this season. You had Tyrese Halliburton make an all-star team, and you had Miles Turner, let's be honest, turn into a player and, and reach a level that he had not had, had been at in his previous time with the Pacers, and a lot of that was due to opportunity and also Tyrese Halliburton. But because I think you maybe took two steps or at least a step and a half forward this season, it allows you to maybe make that next step this summer. And Tyrese Halliburton was pretty clear on the broadcast with Chris and Quinn last night. He wants this team to be in the playoffs next year. And so to do that, you don't just need to draft well this summer, but I do think you have to add another really strong veteran piece. And the Pacers have assets. They have players that they like, but also other teams might like. And they also have salary cap space. So I think the time is now. I think that everyone views this as a very, very important offseason and, and one that they can really set the, you know, set their roster for the next couple of seasons. So I'm in total agreement with you. I can't wait to see what happens. And I think there'll be some, some moves that will really put this team in a position to where they should expect to be a top eight team this time next season. Yeah, I just – I always go back to Rick Carlisle on this show in October – basically saying you know this is going to be rough and stretches here uh, but you know give it time and you know we're all doing it for the betterment long-term betterment 
and improvement of this team. And he was absolutely right about that. But, you know, after the success, especially with that, you know, close to the midseason December type of success that they had, uh, the expectations will weigh a lot heavier coming up next year for real. Yeah, I don't know uh, where you'll be until you really make some of these moves, but just having Tyrese Halliburton as someone who's entering his fourth season and is an all-star and wants to be a part of the postseason desperately, uh, he obviously will see the big picture, so you don't want to skip any steps, but I do think, uh, you know, it's what I just said a minute ago, you have taken an, an, an extra step, and the way the fans have embraced this team, I give a lot of credit to them and the, the Gamebridge Fieldhouse, I don't know what you thought last night, but for a game that did not specifically matter to you. That was fun, yeah. It was fun. I thought it was a really good atmosphere, and it's been that way really the entire second half of the season. And so with that, with that interest and enthusiasm, expectations will raise up a notch. So we'll see what happens with the draft. We'll see if they can add another veteran, a guy that's maybe in his fourth or fifth year that sort of matches the timeline of the the foundation players that you have and see if they can take that step forward because 23 and 18 was the record at the midway point. If Tyrese Halliburton did not get hurt, they might be talking about a play-in tournament or even better um, come this time next week. And so they did have some injuries that did affect the record in the second half, and this is where they are, and it could be a blessing long-term. We'll see what happens. We'll see how they, they execute, but I see no reason to – dampen any of the enthusiasm or the expectations for next season because I think from what I've seen, there's no reason why this team can't be you know, very competitive in that area next year. J.J., you expect it because it has to, but how much should the fans expect a defensive improvement, both defensively and team-wise, coming up this offseason and translating into next year? Because, you know, you could talk about it with Miles, but certainly mostly without this team gives up absolutely boatloads of points and certainly has recently. Do they have guys on this team right now as a part of this core that can get much better defensively? Because that, to me, is an absolute must. I think so. I mean, I brought the I brought up Benning Matherin early in the conversation. I think he can get a lot better defensively. We know that Nemhard and Neesmith are players that are on the court because of their defense, but you still need a little bit more. You're going to need to maybe uh, devise a little bit of a different system to be successful, but I think all options are there, and I think it's probably the biggest priority. We've heard in recent seasons so much talk about rebounding, and I do think defensive rebounding and defense in general, they sort of go hand in hand. So heading into the offseason, not just in players they would acquire, but also I think there could be some scheme discussions. And and what's the best way for this team with the players they have to play defense better? They acknowledge it. Now, what I will say is when you're leading the league in fast break points and your pace is up, you're naturally going to give up more points, although that's not absolving some of what's happening because you're right. It, It is just too easy all season long for teams to be able to score against the Pacers. And we've seen a lot more of these 130, 120, even 140, 130, or games where both teams are above 50%. And you think, if you just look at the offense, it should be a win. But then you look at the other team's offense and you understand why it was a loss. So defense is a big priority. And I do think they can make some improvements, but it's not just going to be as easy as to say, oh, go out and, and play harder. That's not it. There are going to be some changes I would think they would have to make. Yeah, you saw you know, the top three out for the Knicks last night, and obviously Halliburton, Turner out for the Pacers, but the top three out for the Knicks, and then you know, Toppin and Quickly and Grimes each go over 30. I also mentioned this at the top of the show, and I don't know how he would fit. Um, I don't know how available he is, if at all. I love Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes is much like I described, I think, Benedict Matherin. He is there for one thing, and that is to kick your ass. And I I don't know if that because when he came out of Houston, maybe, you know, had a little bit of a a chip on his shoulder or what. But I, I love his game. I always have and always will. And some of those guys last night, they were uh, taking advantage of increased role, more shots, more right. minutes without having Barrett, Brunson, and Randall on the court. They're still important to what the Knicks are trying to do. And I think I think Tom Thibodeau, and as that team has put that roster together, they have a little bit of an edge to them, a little bit of physicality. And we've seen that in the three times 
the Pacers have played him a couple of times early in the season and then last night, and we'll see it again on Sunday. But um, that playoff mentality, it's no surprise they got into the playoffs because of the way they play. They may be lacking in some areas, um, but I like him as well. And there are a lot of guys that maybe don't, don't get as much opportunity in their current situation that the, pay, the Pacers could look after, not saying anyone specifically, but that is an avenue that they could go. Well, and when you mentioned Tom Thibodeau, too, you, you know that he's going to get you someplace. You just don't know what the shelf life, you know, once you get close or the path that you take there, what that shelf life might be. That's been kind of his M.O. But you know that he's going to improve you, and he's certainly going to make you better defensively for the most part. Right. I mean, that, and that's why uh, that series with the Knicks and the Cavs is fascinating. It has a little bit of an old-school feel to it because both those teams, uh, while the Knicks can get out and run and, and the Cavs really want to slow the game down, I, I think of them as right now two of the more uh, physical teams, teams that I feel like can get a stop and really cause problems with what they do defensively, especially in the half court. And so I think that is going to be fascinating to watch. And I think your point's a valid one, though. What – What's the ceiling for each of those teams? Could either one of those teams win and then go take on the Bucks as Milwaukee is currently constructed? I'm not sure about that, and that's kind of the dilemma. You want to be a team that's one, two, or three, or a team that's thought of as a championship contender, but I think that you have to give the Knicks and Cavs credit for the steps they've taken to get to that four or five spot this season. Uh, Jaden Ivey and the Pistons in town coming up tomorrow night for that uh, regular season home finale for the Pacers at Gambridge Fieldhouse. And Ivy, 16 points per game this season. I think around 42% from the floor. I think suffice it to say here, he's had a really good rookie season in Detroit. He has. The first uh, week of the season, we saw him at Gambridge Fieldhouse, and I thought like any rookie would look in the first week. I thought he was a little shaky, uh, a little rough around the edges maybe, and then we did not get to see him in either one of those games in Detroit because he was out due to COVID. So I'm looking forward to watching him, and I've noticed uh, just in looking at some of the numbers this morning, his assist numbers are up considerably. So he's turning into a little bit of an all-around player. That being said, I think they've lost 20 of 21. So Someone's got to get points and assists. Yeah. We'll see what happens moving forward if he can do this against elite teams. But I do look forward just to seeing that matchup with he and Benedict Mathern because the one time they did play against each other, it was similar to what you brought up earlier. There was there was no handshakes. I think I asked him at one point if he had any um, – I asked Ben, I think, before that first game if he had any relationship or if he met him at the draft or anything. And he just kind of looked at me like, ah, oh, no. Not really. <laughs> We're not friends. <laughs> All right. It didn't mean that he's, you know, an enemy, but he's not his friend. <laughs> you know, and the other thing, too, I know people are going to say that, well, you're from Indiana and blah, blah, blah. But, man, T.J. McConnell always makes it more fun. He always makes it more fun. And he did again last night. He's he's as full throttle 100% of the time, more so than anybody else. I mean, anybody else on the floor, anybody else that he plays against, he just always seemingly makes it fun to watch. He does. I mean, it was a phenomenal game, and just on a per-minute basis last night, if he would have gotten to play 30 or 35 minutes, I just I can't imagine what numbers he would have put up. And in that game – the starters for the Knicks had had their way against the Pacers starters, and, and TJ and the bench guys came in and got back in the game on two or three different occasions. So I've enjoyed having TJ around immensely. I think the fans have enjoyed watching him, and it's just a, it's just a tribute to where he came from and where he's how he's built his NBA career, and really to be having the best shooting numbers of his entire career, the work that he has put in. He did not decide a couple of years ago, well, I'm just an energy guy that can pass the ball. I want to improve my shooting to the point that, you know, 50 and 40%. I mean, he's almost 50, 40, 90. He's not going to get there from the free throw line, um, because he's, but he's still in the 80s there. So that's just the percentages on lower volume. It's impressive. I love watching him. I love having him around, and I think any team would be happy to have him as well. No, no, he's incredibly enjoyable. Um, yeah, he was saying something, or it looks like he was trying to mouth something to Quinn last night during the broadcast too. I, I was, I saw him from the bench, and then I saw Quinn kind of laughing about whatever he was doing. So, 
Yeah, I saw that as well. I think he might have actually been communicating with Jenny Boosick because she ah. has done such a good job working with him on his shot. And at different times during timeouts, you know, sometimes I'll see him if he misses a shot, he looks at her and he'll want some some corrections or some teaching. And I think she wants to try to get away from that where he's not trying to analyze and evaluate every single shot and it just comes natural. So I don't know exactly what was being said. He could have been talking to Quinn, but I do think that I saw him make eye contact with Jenny. I saw her chuckle a little bit. So she deserves a lot of credit. And I watched her actually work with Andrew Nemhard in Cleveland over the weekend on his shot as well. And, and she's phenomenal. She was giving me some instructions to, to share um, with my son. So, I mean, I, she's, she really knows her shooting, um, and she's done a great job working with TJ. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, Indiana, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. In closing here, what, what's in that uh, those green plastic containers that Carlisle has? Uh, I'm not sure that I know what you're talking about. They're sitting on the uh, – that they, they sit on the uh, the scores table right there. Is it, what, what, what are those? Is it not for him or is it for everybody? I didn't know what it was. Those green uh, round containers that sit on the scores table? I think there's – I'm not 100% to what you're referring to, but they have like gum and um, – Is that what it is? Hand sticky stuff that some oh. of the players use. Um, but I don't know that Rick uses it specifically. Oh, okay. Usually he just goes there and, and there's a box score always set. In, I, I didn't set recognize right what it was. I couldn't tell what it was, but uh, I was just kind of curious. Yeah, not a big deal though. Hey, great job! You had a good you. seat though. I mean, you could you could see about everything from where you were. Like. I love it, and I'm I'm somebody bad to go with. So Brent Halverson, our betting analyst from Heaven Hill Distillery, and Lynn, who uh, is you know within the uh, Heaven Hill Distillery organization too, and Michelle, who works here. Uh, we all went there last night, and I'm I'm bad to go with because I I kind of want to pay attention to it especially when you sit that close i want to pay attention to it all i mean you're used to it because you do this every game but i i want to pay attention to what's going on on the benches what's going on on the floor you know i kind of want to listen for the talk that they're communicating on the floor and you know watch what they're doing set wise so i'm a really bad person to go with because i say about three words that's about it <laughs> Hey, you you got to be observant. So I, I think you took advantage of that situation. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You can see a lot more being at the game. We try to do the best we can on television, but that's just right. one angle at any particular time. And so you really get a good perspective when you go to the yeah. theater and see yeah. live. And it, uh, and, and it always is phenomenal to me to see how big these dudes are and how quick they move. I <laughs> just – it is mind-numbing. And like I said, you had guys out. You know, Halliburton didn't play. Turner didn't play. Barrett, there was no Randall. There was, there was no Brunson. But these guys are so big and so athletic and move so fluidly. It, it is always incredible to me to see that up close. Yeah, when you bring that up, I'll end with this. You know, I, this is nothing against the the older players or sometimes when – Barkley and those guys get on there and compare generations. The, the difference that I would say, even though I didn't see all of that up close and personal, but you thought you were able to see last night, is just how fast it goes from one end to the other. Yeah. And there really isn't a lot of just walking the ball up the court or if you score, you get to take your time, set your defense. They're going pretty much nonstop. And, and you see that in the first quarter. You see it in the fourth quarter. And I, I don't see that change in intensity now. Sometimes maybe there may be a mental focus that really picks up in the fourth quarters of these games. But from start to finish, these guys are, are giving it maximum effort. And, and you, you are able to see that uh, when, you, when you go watch the game. Yeah, and it, I often wonder. I mean, you're thinking about guys like Webinyama that's coming in at 7-4 and is, is so mobile the way he is. One of these days, how they're going to have to you know, increase you know, the width or the length of the floor or something one of these days. Because I, I don't know how they do it when they get in the corners there. Because to me, you got to almost – I guess you are got to be taught to be on your tiptoes there. Because most of the time, these guys, if you're in the corner beyond the three-point line, your heel's probably out of bounds. I agree with you. I don't know why they don't widen it just a little bit yeah. to avoid that. Nobody likes the – he was step, stepping out of bounds call to go the other way. Now, sometimes – the guys do go to the corner and they run there, so they're set up, so they've got time to make sure. 
But when you're running off a screen or maybe you throw the ball in bounds and you're set to go to the corner, I think that's really difficult. Yeah. I mean, I wear a size 14 shoe, and I'm on the smaller end of many of these guys, and there's not a lot of room if you've got big feet to fit behind the line and not out of bounds, like you would say. So I would be in favor of that rule change, but I've not heard a great push uh, from anyone else to, to make the court wider. And let's let the records reflect that Jeremiah Johnson is bragging right now about his size 14 <laughs> shoes. All right. A little bragging going on here. Well done. Ended on a brag. That's no problem. Hey, great job. Great job all season long. And uh, we'll, uh, I may go tomorrow night too, but uh, we'll stay in touch certainly with what should be a very compelling offseason for the Pacers, JJ. Thank you. All right. Good to see you last night. And uh, appreciate all the fans staying with us all season. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline right now from CBS4 and Fox 59, who got here when the Colts got here. So uh, much like me, we both recognize losing ruts when we're a part of it. It's uh, Mike Chappell who joins us now. We've been a part of that before, haven't we? I tell you, if you've been around long enough, you've seen some really bad. This right now is not really bad. We've seen really bad. So, I mean, it's bad. All the fan base, all everyone wants is a realistic reason to believe. You know, and and what really makes it difficult is when the owner does mention one Lombardi's, two Lombardi's, and I understand that. That's what he's driven for, and he should be. It's just that when you're not, when you're here, people can't see four or five years down the road when something like that might be more realistic. All they see is, you know, this team's going to have a, a sixth different opening day or seventh opening day starter, sixth different primary starter, and what is it, no playoffs in six of the last eight years, which is really hard to believe. It really is. But – all the fan base wants is give us a reason to believe, not fake rah-rah stuff, but give me a reason to believe. And that's what this draft needs to do. Whoever your quarterback of choice is, even if it's Hendon Hooker at the bottom of round one, give them a reason to believe, and they will show patience to a point. But at some point, you have to you have to show them with the bottom line and that that's what's on this team's you know challenge board right now is show us show us something it's on mike chapel of cbs4 and fox 59 when you double back to the era in which you were talking about when the losing was worse you had so many years if you remember when the losing was worse and there was also that sense of dread that this team was going to bounce out of town sooner rather than later too well and if i'm still i still believe that if 1998 didn't happen. Agreed. Let's say 97 at the end of it. If things didn't happen to put you in position in 98, I'm not so sure there would be a team here. I I really believe that because, yes, it was Peyton. It was. But, boy, it was also Marvin and Edger and Tariq Glenn and Freeney and Mathis and all these guys. It was – but it focused on Manning. It just did. He changed everything. And that's what – the quarterback does for you. It's, you know, Manning and Luck and the Mahomeses and Burroughs and Josh Allens and, and on and on and on. When you get that guy, everything is possible. And it doesn't – see, the, the, the problem we have now, and I totally understand it, is there's four or five guys that are different. It's kind of like the Manning and Brady's. They're just different. And they give you a chance to do something special. Well, everybody doesn't get that guy. You just don't. There's not enough of them. But what you need to get is a guy that puts you in position to, you know, knock on, win the division, get a first round, win your game, and then who knows. But until you get that guy, you know, Phillip Rivers, go back to that year. I realized he was, you know, at the end of his career and all that, but they were this close to beating Buffalo. So you can you can get there on the doorstep with somebody other than Manning and Brady and Mahomes and Burrow and all those guys. 
but but you need to have a guy good enough to keep you, you know, relevant, winning a division, and that's what this quarterback needs to be. Whoever comes in, there, there's no there's no Manning or or you know, of course Brady was such a late draft pick, but there's no Trevor Lawrence's or Burroughs. But there's some there's got to be somebody good enough that you can build around, and I, I keep coming back to and give the fan base reason to say, okay, we're with you. It's going to be. It may be difficult next year. Who knows? But we're with you because of this. And until they get that, this, I understand that the, the frustrations with, with the fan base. Would it be okay with the fan base if they drafted a quarterback that didn't play much at all, if any, this season? If it were a Richardson, which is a huge athletic swing, there's no doubt about that. But you really don't know if he's going to be capable at all playing quarterback at the NFL level or somebody like Hendon Hooker that you're going to have to wait on and more than likely won't get that much time coming up this year. Is that something that this fan base can get excited about? I think so, because they've seen, you know, they've seen Richardson's, you know, freakish workouts and you can throw out a, you know, as far as anybody and, and all that stuff. Which is great. I, I I try not to get too, you know, bent out of shape over workouts because we've seen a lot of workout guys who just don't. It doesn't transform to the field. But at least that guy is going to give you a reason. Now it, it's you know it sure better show something in twenty twenty four because if I, I really think if you go to Richardson or or Hooker maybe even Levis I don't know I don't know but the first part of Next year, this coming year, it's going to be Gardner Minshew. It, it just is. I, I just can't. I, I don't see a scenario where they draft a guy and they say, "Okay, here you go. This is twenty oh two, and Houston's going to roll David Carr out there." No, they're not going to do that. But I, I, I do think that one of those guys, they would show you enough. They've shown you enough. There's been enough talk that they would still keep people interested. And, and anticipating something really, really good in 2024. And, again, I really think we're going to have to sort of see how this thing builds early with Gardner Minshew. And, and at least he has played at a winning level in difficult situations in Jacksonville and played, you know, okay off the bench and a starter to whatever it was in Philly. But uh, uh, at least finally taking a swing on a quarterback it, it does give you hope. And, and again, uh, I could be talked into Hendon Hooker at the bottom of round, not the bottom, but the bottom third of round one, because then you're going to get a maybe your long your long time left tackle at four or uh, a stud pass rusher. Uh, of course, if you do that, you better be sure you're you're going to get Hooker moving into the up into the first round. So, but I, I sort of think they stick it four and get their guy. And if, if they really, really like Levis or they really, really like Richardson, you move to three so that you make sure you get him. And don't be sitting there at four thinking, boy, we should have given up two second-round picks or whatever to get our guy. If you really like one of those two guys, not named Young and Stroud, move up to three so that you control what you're doing because right now they don't control that. My- I, I'm, con- I'm convinced – that Arizona will not make the pick at three. That me too. Team oil. Me too. Yeah, I think you're going to have three straight quarterbacks, and that's why I've I've said all along it's going to be Levis because I think they believe Levis is going to be there at four. But yeah, we'll get back to that in a second. Mike Chappell joins us. You said something interesting. I'm under the impression that they believe Bernard Ryman is the guy for the future at left tackle. I, I would agree with that. But but what but, but what if you can get a one of these top tackles, and then you move Ryman to right guard. You know, I, I could, I, you know, that's a possibility. But, but I, I do, I do think they saw enough of Ryman last year that they that they're convinced that he will be a solid left tackle. See, here's this, and people kind of laugh at it, Mike, and I get it because it does sound like a fairy tale, but. I've kind of described this as, and you can look at the quarterback situation, which was god-awful, and you had a guy that they brought in that had zero escapability and had a noodle-fight arm, 
We knew that with Matt Ryan. We saw that all year. It was at that position. It was dreadful. Offensive line did not play well, but do they believe for the most part that this thing is constructed just to bring somebody else in both at quarterback and to coach them up with Tony Sperano Jr. doing just that to where you can just get much different and much better results out of this group than certainly what we saw and was placing on them blame-wise last year? Well, that certainly has to be the case with, like, Ryan Kelly. I mean, because, you know, from what Chris Ballard said at the owners' meetings, they had offers. They had interest, trade interest, and they, they it either wasn't to what they wanted, obviously, or they valued Ryan Kelly enough. And and now, now part of that is that they're, they're, sort of, they're locked into Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson. There's not, there's not much they could do there. But, yes, they have to believe that a new set of eyes, and, you know, we talked all last year about how, you know, we were we were somewhat surprised that the offensive line coach kept his job when, when other people weren't. But they, they have to believe that, that a new set of eyes and a new coaching, you know, with, with Sperano and with Syke and all these guys, that, that it's going to be different, and it has to be different. The, the, the issue I've, I've got and I've written about it is that, Right now, their depth is as bad as it's ever been. It's 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 Danny Penner and a bunch of guys. Yeah, yep. and Penner was benched at right at right guard last year. So, yeah. And again, the good thing is they don't play until September. But still, you know, in, unless you find a guy in the draft, you know, let's say second round, if you take your quarterback at four, then you that second round pick has got to be an offensive lineman or a cornerback. You know, they're pretty thin at corner also, so they have options. But you know, are, are they hoping to get a, a Mark Lewinsky like they did in the past, or or, or, or a Chris Reed, to where? And, and there's guys out there. And, and if, if the other four spots play at a good level, then the right guard, you know, I hate to say you can make do, but but at some point you're not going to have a, a highlight player there. So I, I just don't like the way it's it, it's the eleven guys there right now, but it's April. So that they have time. It's just the longer you wait, you're not going to get the more proven people. The people out there now are out there for a reason, more so than they were a month ago. But they have to believe that they can get this thing turned around. Those three guys, the three, you know, highly paid cornerstones can play better. They have to play better. They know that, uh, and they they just have to believe that Sperano can get that out of them because if, if they can't then whatever quarterback they put out there, the, the rookie or Minshew, it's going to like, look like last year with with Foles, uh, Ryan, and Eleanor. They're, they're going to get beaten up. Mike Chappell joins us. You brought up a great point, too, and this even more so solidifies you know what we've talked about with Ballard and still you know the surprise by me that they continue going you know down that path with a reboot here that's not going to end anytime soon. It's, that was always a frequent mantra from Chris Ballard regarding depth and we're building on depth and I believe in depth and I mean you were talking about it in terms of the offensive line you look all the way around and there's nothing nothing there right now for what all this work has accounted for over the past now going into year number seven or certainly the past six years they've got three or four three or four spots you really are concerned about you know and the one that we always talk about receiver they need to add another, you know, contributor receiver. I mean, a, a significant guy receiver. Maybe that's another draft pick. I don't know. But, again, the secondary, a safety corner, they've got work to do. I know they're high on Dallas Flowers, but, you know, he was primarily w- w- was a return guy until he started playing more out of necessity last year. So, again, they have time, and they, they've got plans and all that stuff. And I'm not too bent out of shape now, but if we're sitting here like – in June for the mandatory mini camp, and and they still have serious issues, you know, depth wise. Th- th- then there's there's reason for criticism. Right now, it's I- I'm more anxious. Later on, I get concerned because you're only as good as your depth. I mean, yes, you, you got in the quarterback. Let's, let's take that out of the mix. You got to have that. But you're only as good as your depth because guys are going to get hurt. You know, Shaq Leonard. We, we, they keep saying he's making progress, but we don't know. <laughs> well, and Chris Ballard told me he said I wouldn't bet against him. I know. I I, I wouldn't bet against him. That didn't. I they, mean, and that told us really nothing. <laughs> so, they almost yeah, have I mean, to say yeah. that. I mean, he, well, you better. Yeah. 
and again, their their salary cap. Well, and and you can really view that, Mike, as we really don't know, just as much as you can, you know, believing their belief that he returns to form. I I have I have to believe that as of today, they have a very good idea, one way or the other. I he he he's beyond where he was last year on the rehab time frame. When he had the surgery, what was it? Was it in June last year? And when he finally got out to practice and was starting to play, they're beyond that time frame now. So they have to know that everything's firing the right way, and he and he's back in football, not shape, but but where he can, where, where he's on track to play and play at a high level. They, ha- I just have to believe they know that one way or the other. And, and, and if if it's a negative, I mean, then they're in trouble. But I really believe that they by now they know that either here we are again, it didn't the surgery the second surgery didn't didn't work, or that it did, and he'll be fine if that's the right word, because him coming back make, makes such a difference to that defense. It was pretty, the defense was pretty good last year without him, but it's a different level with him because of the type of player he is. To Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The off-season workout program is officially underway coming up on the 10th. Uh, more so than anything I know, lifting and rehab and all that stuff, but more so than anything else, it's an introduction for everybody team-wise to their new head coach and coaches, correct? Yeah, it's kind of like th- this is who we are. You know, before the draft, obviously, but but by and large, the, 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 these are the guys we got coming back, and I would hope they have near 100% participation. It's voluntary. But this kind of tells you who's who's in, who's out. I can't imagine anybody who's anybody not showing up. And certainly the marginal players, you know, at the bottom of the roster will be there. But th- th- this will be where he gets them together and say, okay, th- this is our vision. This is our expectations. And you need to buy in. And, and it'll be the first step in. Change Steichen's uh, coaching stand here. Yeah. It's kind of like um, when Norman Dale, right, got in front of his yeah. team and said, let me see the the hand that I've been dealt. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. What have I got? And then he walks away and says, holy crap, really? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, again, I, I do think there's, there's reasons. There are really, really good pieces in place. There really are. So you just it, – it's all about making – Filling in holes around them, near receiver, corner, and on and on, offensive line. But this will be the chance where he can actually see and have these guys in front of him, and they can see him. I'm sure yeah. a lot of the players have talked with him, but it's different when you're sitting in the chairs. He's the head coach, and he's delivering your, his introductory address of the team. Yeah, it's something. There's no doubt. I, I'm, I'm, he, um, I wonder, do you think he's going to grow Shane Steichen as, you know, being with the media and elaborating a little bit more, or will he be basically five words and out? He'll be better. I think he will be better. When we got him on the introductory day and then you had him on radio that day, I think he was still <laughs> winded. I think he was still trying to catch his hey, breath from everything. Know, and you know this, because you've been around this forever, I, I have to tip the cap to Matt Taylor because Matt had him with him in studio over there. And it just so happened, I thought, hey, you know, I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. And I went, uh-oh, <laughs> I better. I had like four questions loaded up, <laughs> so to speak, in the chamber because I knew it was going to be like five words or less. And listen, I, there's no blame there. That's just stuff you have to prepare for. But I always had to thank Matt for that because Matt kind of got that thing out of the way. He was the one that had to deal with it first, and I was ready for it second, so. He, he he doesn't know the landscape. I mean, when when he first got here, he wasn't familiar with anybody. He was talking to faces he didn't know. I, I just have to believe. Go, go back to Nick Sirianni's introductory press conference with the Eagles. Remember how awkward that was, and they were making fun of him. But but once once you kind of get your feet on the ground and you get comfortable, and and it's just part of your day to talk to the media, I think he'll warm up. And now he's not going to give us state secrets. Very few of them do. Uh, of course, Bruce Arians kind of did, which was kind of fun. But uh, I, I think he'll be fine, and, and we won't have too many complaints 
walking away from his Wednesday press conference. I really don't think that'll be the case. Hey, Mark tweeted me this, and I want you to elaborate, and I will as well, because we both lived through it at different levels. You were employed and working it, and I was a fan watching it or not watching it or you know, griping about it or whatever. But Mark writes this, does Chapel actually believe that last year was better than the 80s and the early 90s? He's delusional. Um, last year was a circus. And you didn't have you, – you could call it a circus, Mike, back in the 80s and early 90s, but you didn't have the care. It was like, hey, you were still new to having a team, and everybody was still basically happy because they had an NFL team here. It's not like it is now with the expectations that come with this organization, whether because of the past with Manning or because of what the owner tells them should be those expectations. So there, to me, is where it was drastically different between the era that we're talking about compared to a year ago. Well, the, the difference is I just I just flipped to my media guy, 1991. One and fifteen, they scored one hundred and forty-three points. <laughs> I mean, they, they scored, and, and their only win was twenty to twenty-seven against the Jets. Yeah. So, as far as bad seasons, there have been worse seasons. Now, you can argue that it's totally different when the expectations. Remember, that team last year was co-favorites at worst to win the division. So, what made last year worse in in perspective? Was the expectations well back in the, you know the the, the late eighties and the nineties there, there were no expectations. They did a blip when the playoffs at the end of the eighties, but generally there were some bad seasons. One in fifteen was really tough to go through, especially when they couldn't score and they were awful. So uh, so there have been worse seasons. The three and thirteens, there the the two thousand eleven season, there have been worse seasons. Last year was was I understand how it felt worse because the expectations were so high and and, and I thought realistically so they sh- that that team was good enough the way it was structured to contend and then you had the offensive line pl- play so poorly as a group it sabotaged everything that I hate to blame it on one area but that offensive line was awful and it, it, it didn't allow Jonathan Taylor to play well although he was hurt. And it didn't allow Matt Ryan and his limitations to play well. But I, 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 I'd go to war over that there have been worse seasons. I just would because I, I, I dealt with them and went through them. Well, I mean, there were we weren't, you know, preaching over this past season no trim until the Colts win. That was going on right. back then. And I'm, the season you're talking about, the one win, what ninety one season. Um, you didn't have people camped out on billboards until the Colts won. Ray I mean, there was, God bless him. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a different form of clowning this past year. Don't get me wrong. And I agree. But, uh, yeah, see, I, yeah I, I, I understand. I understand the argument. I just, I, I just having lived through it. And, and again, this all really to me goes back to what the, the, the glory years in the 2000s and starting in 99 when Peyton and those guys got their act together, they, they lifted the franchise so high where, you know, the only franchise better than you as far as bottom line was New England with the championships. But pe- people still anticipate and want that they want to get back to that. Even even the, the first three years with Andrew Luck, just just be relevant, be relevant, be competitive, and and don't go through again. Last year, it was so there were so many things, and when you're firing coordinators and you're firing coaches and you're bringing in Jeff Saturday, that's where it just threw everything out of whack, and I, and that's where I understand the clown show aspect. of it. I understand that. But again, all I'm trying to say is perspective. It's been worse. It has been worse. Did you guys ever think back then when you were covering the team, either you or Mark Patrick or you know Sorensen or uh, any of the TV people working at the time around here as well? I think Fred Khalil was here back then, and uh, I think Calabro was still. Don Hahn was here back then. Did you ever think about? Yep. Was there some kind of? You know, sacrifice, kind of like what they talked about with the Cubs needed to do because. This 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 area has been very high volume loser with well, a couple did, of different did, exceptions to that rule. 
Yeah, the, 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 again, the difference is up until really the Manning years, they're, they're only sporadic success. You know, you bring in Dickerson and you make playoffs in the replacement year, and then Harbaugh catches lightning in a bottle and gets them to the AFC Championship game. But, you know, back then, 9-7 and seven was a great year. Yeah. It was a great year. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so there weren't you, – you wanted better, but you, you just, okay, this is who we are. Well, all of a sudden, in 98 on, they saw how the other half lived, and it was fun. And that, that's what they want. That's what, but again, that, that's what the fan base should expect. And they should be pissed off when, yeah. when it goes like last. They, they should be mad when they go three and thirteen or whatever. And if because if they don't, then you've lost your fan base. And as we've talked, you lose your fan base and you're done. So I'd, I'd much rather have an angry fan base and a fan base that doesn't care. So I, I applaud the fan base for being upset demanding more that's why i say if they can just give them a reason to believe with levis or richardson or 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 hooker one of those guys it it it, it buys them time but it, more than that it, it gives them hope that hey this this isn't peyton manning but this guy might be good enough if we if we make the team strong around him to make us relevant and get us into the playoffs and make playoff pushes with this quarterback, whomever that is. By whatever means necessary, and finally quickly with Mike Chappell here, whether they're drafting at four or they trade back, I'm just I'm just giving you this scenario because I want to yep. also factor in Hendon Hooker. Of Hooker, Richardson, and Levis, who would you go with sitting here talking to me right now? Oh, probably Levis. Just, <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's an awful reason to say it. There's probably It seems like there's less risk. With him, he's more of a, I don't say known, because he didn't exactly have great last two years at Kentucky. But then maybe there's more. There's fewer question marks about him. The 12 or 13 starts with Richardson just scare me. They just do. The 54% percentage, completion percentage scares me. And then Hooker's coming off the ACL. And this isn't Tom Brady coming off an ACL. This is, this is a mobile quarterback coming off the ACL. But I, I could be on board for any of them. The thing, again, with Hooker, if you do that, if you can find a way to get back in the first round to get it, then you're adding a player at four, probably the best player in the draft. If you stand, Pat, and Arizona doesn't pick, you're getting the best player in the draft. So I, I could buy any of them. Just, just, let, let's just get this thing over with so we're, so we're not speculating <laughs> and we're not guessing and, and we've got something real to talk about. At some point, that's going to happen, right? Sure. Yeah. But what was it, about, about three weeks? Is it three weeks from today? Yeah. Big, yeah. It's a big deal, too, buddy. Big sure is. deal. All right. Hey, always. It, 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 yep. it, it, it's, it's as big as the Peyton Manning Andrew Luck deal. It really is. It is. There's no doubt. It is. Especially with what they've gone through here uh, in, in recent years and in the past two as and you're well. File, and you're finally in position to do something about it high in the draft. And a draft that's got quarterbacks in it. That, that's all you can ask for. To Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59. Mike, thank you very much. Next week. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.